All right, welcome back to another episode of Financers. Today on the podcast, we have Eric and Joe Sacchetta, and we have Mike Callahan and myself. Today, we are going to, once again, continue our discussion on the book 2030 that we've all been reading, and just to bring you up to speed if you haven't heard the other ones. It's essentially this this book that has a bit of a financial focus, but it, it's kind of all over the map of what life is going to look like in 2030, so nine, 10 years from now, and how we can prepare for it financially and otherwise. Today, we're going to focus in on chapter six, which is one that we found interesting. And again, this one doesn't have as much of a financial tie-in, but we thought it was, you know, worth talking about nonetheless. Yeah, I think, you know, I think to me, these, this chapter and then the next podcast we're going to do, I think these are almost more interesting to me than, than some of the earlier ones, because these are a lot more about everyday life, right? And this chapter in particular is about, you know, changing technology between now and 2030 and what things might look like and kind of essentially the, the continuing evolution of how technology plays a role in our lives. And again, it's, it's something that you can see happening, right? And I think over time, it's just going to make things a lot easier and harder at the same time. Right. As all technology does is, you know, I think the, the some of the topics they touch on are, are like the idea that in in Africa, there are more cell phones than toilets. Right. And which is just a crazy concept to think about. But it's somewhat logical when you when you take a step back, because cell phones are portable and, you know, you can get one to each person fairly easily. And logistically, it's easier to build a cell phone tower than it is to build a whole infrastructure of, of plumbing and sewage. So it, it kind of touches on some of these things that don't make sense on the surface, but then when you really start digging down, it, it makes perfect sense. I also think that it's it's interesting that, you know, we kind of hear, you know, where things are headed, but also that it doesn't go the way everyone thinks, right? So they talked about how they thought by this point, physical books would not be a big thing in the United States, yet they still are because people want to be able to reference different things, whatever. So you know, part of the point is technology is going to continue to be there. It's going to accelerate, but not necessarily exactly the way this book or any book says it's going to. And because of that, you want to be flexible as a person. But back to what we do with with financial planning, you want to be diversified across asset classes where, you know, if you think one particular company is technologically savvy, nothing's ever going to go wrong for them. You really don't know what could happen in the in the future, and you're adding some unnecessary risk. And, and I think a very interesting point in the book, which I kind of found surprising, was you know, years ago, the average length of time a company would stay on the S&P 500 was 60 years, and now it's down to 10 years, which means that these, these companies do have a beginning and end, whereas years ago, they lasted a long time. So to Eric's point, you know, the need to diversify and not put all your eggs in one basket, you know, bet on one horse makes a lot of sense. You stole my point, Joe. That was going to be my next cue up. But (laughs) it is true, you know, and that's why we're such strong advocates of mutual funds and exchange traded funds, right? Because we're financial advisors. So we're looking at at the big picture here, the the tax implications, the financial plan. Of course, portfolio management is part of that. But, you know, we're not here watching the, the fundamentals of stocks every day. So, we leave that up to the to the professionals, right? There are people that run these funds that are constantly looking at that. And that's part of the reason why we do it is because we have no idea which business is going to be out of the S&P in 10 years, but these people might have a better idea of, of what will. So it just kind of leads to a more, a safer portfolio in many regards. Well, and, and not to mention, the more diversified you are, the less that matters, right? Because if you own a bunch of different investments and different companies across 
all these different industries, if half of them are out of the S&P in, in, in 10 years, as long as the other half make up for that in, in the rate of return, then you're fine, right? And that kind of goes back to the, the Morgan Housel book we, we did a bunch of podcasts on you know, last season, is that the bulk of the returns in the S&P and in most people's portfolio come from a very small percentage of the actual holdings. And being diversified is how you make sure you capture that small percentage because the rest of them, you know, are probably going to become obsolete and go the way of so many companies before them. But I think that the biggest thing with, with focusing on the technology is it's going to continue the trend of speeding things up, right? It, to Joe's point, it used to be 60 years in the S&P. Now it's down to, I forget whatever you just said, but 10, 10 years. So it's not even necessarily that to, to me, it just speeds up the cycle, right? It's like it used to be if something would be introduced, a company would be be created, they'd have this great idea, they'd do, do well at it. It took a long time for other companies to catch up. And now the technology makes it such that it's so much easier to, to bridge that gap that, you know, it's it's it just happens so much faster, right? And that's true of every part of our lives, essentially. I think if you look at some of the companies that are high flyers today, you can't imagine a world without Facebook and Amazon and, and some of these other companies, but I, I go back a little few more years than some of the rest of you, and I could rattle off names of companies that were going to be around forever, and they don't exist anymore, and you probably never even heard of them before. So nothing's forever, and like Mike says, technology is speeding up the, the time in which those things turn over faster and faster. The, the other thing, too, is not only companies just being gone, but just companies, you know, like, for example, the one we always come up with, which they're still a good company, but General Electric, right? They're in everything. You know, how could that possibly be an issue? But if you get really big and you start making all kinds of deals and buying things and you buy them for too much money and you buy it at the wrong time and you do all this stuff, you might still be a company 20, 30 years from now, but you might not be as, as successful as you have been. So to your point about, could you imagine no Amazon? Could you imagine no Facebook? Uh, you don't even have to go as far as them being out of business. It could just be, you know, we're this giant, we're going to make all these moves. They're all going to work and whatever. And if some of them don't, they, they might not be worth anywhere close to as much as they are now in the future. That, that's that's yeah. the hardest job of the CEO of these of companies these days, right? It's not necessarily the day-to-day running of the company. It's you have to figure out how you would put yourself out of business and take steps to prevent it because somebody is going to try to do it and it's going to happen faster than you think it will. Right. So we're kind of focusing in a little bit on, on the stock market side of things right now, but another huge part of this chapter was just the economy as a whole, right? And, and how this advance in technology is really going to shift things there. And one of the, one of the larger points that he made was about AI, artificial intelligence, and how that is going to make an extraordinary impact on just jobs in general. And we're, and we're already kind of seeing it a bit today is self-driving cars and trucks, right? Truck drivers is the number one job in 29 out of 50 states. So it's a huge portion of the population. And the second you remove those jobs, what are these people going to do? In, in do, do I guess this is a question for you guys. Do you think we're going to get to the point where truck drivers are obsolete? Well, I, I think you, know, you said when we get to the point, personally, I think it's going to be a very gradual process because nothing like that happens overnight. Maybe faster than you might think, but it's not going to happen overnight. So there will still be some companies that continue to, you know, use trucks and what have you. But yeah, it's 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 definitely going to impact the future in, in a, a positive way and a negative way, like every other technological advancement. I 
I think one of the things that they'll probably try to do and they've done it with other industries is they'll know that this is going to happen, but they'll slow it down. So like the government will find a way to try to slow it down a little bit so that they can have some other avenue for things for these people to do. Well, beyond that, yeah, and I think, sorry, Mike, beyond that, you know, we, we start to also uncover problems of like morality, right? And how do you train these robots to act morally and act, act ethically. The author talked about the idea of a trolley problem, right? It's like this classic ethical dilemma where in there's a trolley careening down the tracks and it can't stop and you're at the the switch where you can either divert it one way or the other and if you do nothing, it's going to hit five people on the tracks ahead. But if you pull the lever, it's going to turn, but it's going to kill just one person on the other track. But then it leaves you, you know, if you did nothing, you you kind of have no blood on your hands. But if you pull the lever and divert the train, now you have that blood on your hands of that one person. So it it, it begs, you know, what do you do in these situations? And as humans, we try to make the best decisions, but we're literally going to have to tell a robot what to do in these types of situations if they're inevitable. And that I don't know if we're, as a human race, we're ready to kind of give that up to to artificial intelligence. Well, and the tricky part is, like you say, I think, you know, they, they did surveys and, and looked at different cultures and different different countries and all these different things. And the tricky part is that the, the decisions would be different in different parts of the world and different cultures and different people would make different decisions. So, like, whose morality do you impart to machines, right? If you look at even the trolley problem and say, well, a machine obviously would look at, you know, five people as more than one person, so they would divert the train. It's not going to feel bad about that. But I guess the question becomes, should we make it feel bad about that? Mm. You know what I mean? And in order to better represent the decision that a person would make. And then you get into the, the argument of, should we make them make decisions like people? Or is that the whole reason we went to, to machines in the first place, right? Is to make better decisions than we would make and take the emotion out of it and make you know strictly calculated decisions. But I mean, even going back to the, the idea of what do we do about the, the truck driving industry and some of this stuff, we face this problem many times before, right? Farming was once the, the biggest job in the country. And everybody said, well, it's it, once we build, put machines into farming and it'll make the jobs easier, we won't need as many people. What are we going to do with all those workers? Same thing happened with, with factories. We stopped producing as much stuff. We didn't need as many people in the factories. So it's not a, it's not a 21st century problem, I guess is my point. And we've faced it before and we've kind of come through it before. So I think we'll do it again. I think a few other things in the book that really are kind of eye-opening. One is the whole concept of 3D printing and how expansive that could be to replace manufacturing and put things in other parts of the world that you really can't physically bring them there, but you can print them there. The, The concept of using data to, for instance, companies are doing it already. The insurance premiums you pay for your car for some companies is based on your your driving habits, not just your, your, you know, your collisions and what have you, but just, you know, do you speed? Do you change lanes? They, they pay attention to what you're doing. Is it Allstate that has that app? They might be. Yeah, I think that it's Allstate, yeah. yeah. I always find that a little creepy. It's yeah, but that's, yep. you know, that's, that's, that's Big Brother. <clears throat> and then the last well, point. Well, the question is, how much, how much savings on your auto policy would, would convince you that you want to do that. Right, right. right. That's, that's the well, question. Well, then you're going to have the group of people 
you know, and maybe myself included, if I turn this app, my premiums are going to go through the roof because I drive like a maniac. So it's like (laughs) people are going to want to do that. Right. And and the last uh, item that I'll just bring up is the whole concept of programmable matter, which is exciting and scary at the same time. The thought that the clothes we buy could be programmed so that you could wear the same clothes in the summer and the winter. It could be green today and it could be orange tomorrow just by changing the program. So fascinating stuff. Again, very exciting, but at the same time, kind of scary. What What about on the same thing? I, I think it was in this chapter where they talked about, let's say you're uh, out in a war zone and you don't want to bring as much equipment and you have this device that will say, oh, we need a wrench. You go use the wrench, then you put it back and say we need a different thing and you make... And it, and, it changed, and it changed. I mean, it, it seems like sci-fi, right? It seems yeah. like Star Trek type stuff. But we are on the cusp of of having that technology, and it's it's bizarre. And yeah, it, I mean, it's you know nanotechnology. It's just like you say that they they just form in whatever shape you need them to be, and it's it is it's it's very sci-fi. And it's, I mean, you know, the 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 hard part about a lot of this technology, just in general, is. You know, at first, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of useful applications to it, right? It's like any other technology. And then some people can see the future and see what it could be, right? It's the same idea of, you know, originally computers, people said, well, nobody's going to want a computer because they're too big and they're too heavy and they take up too much space. And, you know, Steve Jobs and and people like him looked at it and said, well, that's because that's how it is today. But that's not what it's going to be 10 years from now. You know, and I think... That's part of it, too, is you almost have to take the long view. Like, to Joe's point, 3D printing, the first introduction to 3D printing is like, oh, you can make little plastic trinkets with it. That's that's great. But then you look at the applications with other materials, and you say, okay, so you're saying we could print, you know, parts for machines on site, or we could print, I mean, they're talking about printing Body human cells, right? And, and if you need a, a lung transplant, we you print your own lung from your DNA, mm-hmm and hopefully avoid the the risk of rejection. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, Eric just kind of briefly said it, but there's a company in China actually printing houses. Like, that that is wild to me that there's a machine that comes on site and and prints your house. And typically you build a house with lumber, right? And and that kind of limits you with what you can do. And there's a ton of waste and all this. And it's, you, you know, there's a machine that rolls up and you say, this is where I want this cabinet and this is where i want this wall and this door and you can just program it all in and there's virtually zero waste so i mean there's also there's you know with all this progressing technology there's huge in, environmental benefits as well i was going to say with this programmable matter maybe matt might even be able to get a date <laughs> <laughs> leave that in that's good um the the other you know huge benefit of, of having something built on site is you can build it virtually anywhere, right? So the, even in the in the book, he was talking about how by 2030, we're going to probably start looking more and more at the colonization of Mars, even though it kind of sounds like a real out there thought at, at the moment. But you're going to be able to bring these machines up in, in print houses up there instead of, you know, transporting in spacecrafts, all this lumber and nails and roof, you know, whatever else you need. You're just going to be able to print it all there. It's, it's kind of crazy. Somebody said why are we so fixated with colonizing Mars? Because it almost seems like no matter what happens on Earth, the it, the environment here is still going to be more hospitable than Mars. Even if there's global warming and all this stuff and these things happen, isn't Mars still worse than, than Earth? 
right? Like, yeah, why don't we know. just better colonize Earth? Yeah. Well, capacity. I suppose. But it goes back to that yeah. thing that we were talking about last time, how, you know, we're plateauing with how the population is going, right? So, like I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, not everything is going to be explicitly financially tied in. But in a lot of ways, it, all of this is, right? This this progression of technology is going to drastically change the economy. It's going to drastically change the stock market and drastically change our lives in general. So we think this is very important to at least get all of this stuff on your radar, start thinking about it, start thinking about how you'll adapt, how you should adapt your financial plan and accordingly and all of that. So... We want to thank you again for joining us for another episode, and we look forward to speaking to you again next time. For now, take care. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash financers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.